0: We start this morning with a story from the 5th century. That's the 400s. There's a bishop in North Africa, and he's going to be preaching on Jonah, and he has a new translation of the Bible. And he reads the passage for the morning from the book of Jonah, and the whole church threatens to walk out. Seems that the news translation, there was a word in there that they weren't used to, and they didn't like. And they told their bishop, if you don't change that word back, the whole church is leaving. There are some uh, accounts of this event that say there was a riot in the street outside the church that day. What on earth could this word be that almost destroyed an entire church or may have caused a riot in the street? It comes from Jonah chapter 4 verse 6. It says, and the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and it soon spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head. The translation they were used to, where our R says leafy plant, there said gourd. They were used to it saying gourd. But when the bishop read it that morning, that son of the devil said ivy. That's right. They threatened to walk out. If he didn't change gourd back to ivy. There may have been a riot in the street called the Gord Riot. This is dumb. If you think this is dumb, you're right. (laughs) Dumb church controversies. But this is the 5th century, so at least we have this going for us. Dumb church controversies are not new. They're not new, are they? Um, Now, there's one rule in preaching is that you don't stand up here and talk about a bunch of stuff that nobody knows what you're talking about. Because it doesn't make you know, it makes folks feel like they missed something in school or whatever. But I'm going to list some old church controversies here, and let me tell you: the less you know about these, the better. The less time you raise your hand that you know what I'm talking about, the better off you are. Because the people who are going to be raising their hand, listen, you'll hear them groan, sigh, because they were there. All right, are you ready? How many of you remember? These are all from the 1990s. How many of you remember the prayer of Jabez controversy? Oh, a lot more than first service. All right. The prayer of Jabez, I'd say about almost half. There is a time, if you don't know, the prayer of Jabez, you've prayed that every morning or you knew that you should not ever pray that. Um, You got the book, the prayer of Jabez, but that wasn't enough. You could go get the prayer of Jabez for the husband, prayer of Jabez for the wife, prayer of Jabez for the single, prayer of Jabez for the couple, prayer of Jabez for the kid's coloring book. I kid you not. Today... A little under half of you don't even know what I'm talking about. How many of you could right now tell me the difference between a seeker-friendly and a seeker-focused church? Seeker-friendly or seeker-focused church, that, that drew a lot fewer. How many of you could remember holy laughter and holy barking? Did he say holy barking? Yes, barking for Jesus. About three of you still remember that one sorry to rip open the scars. How many of you could tell me the difference between an emerging and an emergent church? Emerging versus an emergent church. Same three as the holy laughter, holy barking crowd. Um, how, how, how many could, if you met a Pentecostal or a charismatic in about two questions, you could discern which one you were talking to. Pentecostal versus charismatic. There we go. Now, let me tell you, in the late 1990s, in certain ring re, uh, circles of the church, you knew what you thought about all of this stuff. And you had magazine articles and books and radio programs. And you knew what to say because these were the greatest threats Christianity was facing. The discernment in the church is at an all-time low. This was the language all of this was wrapped in. And today, a little over half for one of them and about four of you for the rest, even know what they are. I don't think a single person came to saving faith in Jesus Christ during the late 1990s for knowing anything about any of those. In fact, I I wonder if a lot more didn't leave the church, shaking their head in disgust and shock that there was so much stuff to fight about. Gourds versus ivy. Our scripture today is a letter exchanged between two pastors who are dealing with the same thing. The Apostle Paul has started and uh, has brought up a young pastor named Timothy. And, and in Timothy's church, there's some fighting about some stuff going on. And the Apostle Paul's writing him with some advice about what to do about it. He writes this in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, sh- chapter 2, verse 14. Remind everyone about these things. And command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive His approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer. As in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus, they have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. And this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. So he calls out two folks from this church right in the letter. It sounds like they've already gone. But he's saying these two, folks are teach- these two guys were teaching that the, the resurrection It's some past event. There's no future resurrection of the body. It's something that already happened, probably when you became a Christian, probably something just purely spiritual. And that's what they were teaching. And now they're they're gone from the church. And he says a lot of people left the faith over that thing. That... Teaching becomes one of the key controversies for the rest of the New Testament. Now, it's hard for us to figure out because for the rest of the New Testament, the letters keep getting shorter and shorter. But this idea that the body and the spirit are completely separated and that the resurrection is some spiritual thing that happens, you know, when you become a Christian and that you don't look forward. This becomes a big deal for the end of the New Testament, as near as we can tell. That teaching continues even today. Even today, even within the last few years, it comes out um, just like then that it was a quick step to this belief. That not only are the, uh, the, is the resurrection a sp- purely spiritual and past event, but actually your body and soul are so separated that you can commit sins with your body and they don't affect your soul. Because Jesus doesn't care about your body. He came to save your soul. So whatever you do with this, you just chuck that and off to heaven you go. And then it was a very short step from that one too. So you can commit those kind of sins with me, your spiritual leader. And we'll all still go to heaven together. It won't matter. Just within the last few years, some very famous and learned Christian men were teaching this ancient heresy behind closed doors. That they had ascended to, to, to such a spiritual level that the body and soul were now completely separated. And you could have a relationship with them. And it was like having a special union with God, and it didn't count. This was the teaching that Ravi Zacharias, one of my favorite Christian apologists, it appears this is what he was teaching certain female followers behind closed doors to lure them into relationships. Jean Vanier of France, the great 12 um, step teacher and spiritual director of a huge cloistered community, drew several Catholic nuns into these types of relationships. Uh, John Howard Yoder in the 80s, you may remember, was a great teacher of pacifism from the Brethren. He also believed he had ascended to a special spiritual place where body and soul were now separated. Each of these men had dozens or hundreds of victims. This was a controversy that mattered and still matters. And yet, even this controversy, Paul tells the church Don't fight about it. That's really interesting. He calls the church not to fight about something as dangerous and despicable as that. Desperate to keep the church from being destroyed. Paul gives this advice. Stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. These words today are a call to the the church, our church. I think the church everywhere. These are a call for us. Let's read these words together and, and take them in as a call of God's word calling out to us today. Let's read this together. Stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. Work hard so you can present yourselves to God and receive His approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. Sadly, I have to confess to you today that I was studied up on all that stuff in the late 90s. I read all the books. I read all the articles. I listened to all the radio programs and watched all the little videos. I ordered some of them special from TV just to, watch, just to learn more. I had all kinds of opinions. I had lots of stuff to say about it. They were the greatest threats ever to face the church. Thank goodness I didn't have access to posting. I would have been a nightmare The prayer of Jabez. I knew what I thought about that. The seeker-friendly versus seeker-focused church. I could tell you all about that. Holy laughter, holy barking. I had an opinion. I could tell the difference between a Pentecostal and a charismatic. Sometimes I had to straighten them out on which one they were. Uh, The emerging versus the emergent church. Okay, actually, I never figured out that one. Other than they ended in in different three letters, I never could uh, figure out what the difference was. Maybe one of you can tell me. Or maybe it just doesn't matter anymore. I can say none of those controversies made me a better husband. None of them made me a better father. None of them prepared me to be a better pastor or for ministry. Nothing I ever said about any of those things ever brought someone to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And nothing I ever said about any of those things kept someone from leaving the faith. My estimation now is that it was a complete waste of a decade. of a a stage of life when clearly I had too much free time that I could have used a lot better and a lot of energy and a lot of opportunity. And so I'm here this morning to beg of you, don't waste your decade and don't waste your witness and your ministry in foolish controversies. What is it for you right now that is the greatest threat facing the church in the world? It's the greatest threat facing our culture. It might be, but I'm also telling you in hindsight someday, it may not be. If something's wrapped in that language right now for you, this is a good morning to pause and decide what we're going to do with that. If I had it to do again, I would still have studied those things just being who I am. I would have still had my thoughts and my opinions and my views on it. I would have known what was going on, where scripture I felt like landed on it. But I would now stop short of turning every conversation into it because I'm afraid if I don't change opinions about this one person at a time, it's just going to overtake the world and destroy the church. I didn't have posting, but I wouldn't do that. I would stop short of ranting and raving and trying to get up here and talk about it and, What would I do instead? I would love like Jesus. And I would serve others like Jesus. And I would try to hand things over to Him to prayer, especially my anxiety and my fear. I would try to be the best example of a Christian that I could be. So that if someone else were at a crossroads with one of these controversial issues, if someone else was wondering, if someone else was tempted, if someone else was confused... be able to approach me and say, what do you think about it? See, that's a different moment. That's a different moment than me trying to turn the conversation to that, me trying to put it in their face, me using whatever reach and voice I have to to get out there. That's different. That's being an example of who a, a Christian is and how a Christian lives and how a follower of Jesus behaves. And then someone says, I'm confused about this. Who could I ask? That one. And then they ask you. And and you know what? When the Holy Spirit's created a moment where someone asks you what you think, now your words have a a whole different opportunity to have a real power and a real effect. That's what I do different. My goodness, if we're not fighting and ranting, what are we going to talk about? Some of us don't know what to talk about if we're not on a rant. Here's a few easy ones. What's the biggest blessing God ever put in your life? What is the biggest blessing God ever put in your life? Tell people about that. That's a good story. That's a good story of the power of God and what he can do and something that you're grateful for. Share that. Here's another one. What's the biggest sin God ever delivered you from? What was the thing that had you trapped and confused and bound up and now you are free of it? Now, you have to be a little more careful, probably, about who you share that story with. But pray for an opportunity to just share that story. Whatever it is that you used to be held in bondage by, I promise you that there's free there's people in this room right now who are trapped in it right now and feel hopeless and that there's no way out. And if they could hear your story... It would renew their faith in God and give them hope. Maybe you could even be a mentor to them about how to walk that path and what a next step might be. That's a good thing. That proclaims the power of God and salvation and deliverance. That's a good thing. What can we do with all the free time we spend not fighting? We could pray. we got to pray. This thing's the biggest threat facing the church. This is the biggest threat our culture has ever faced, whatever it is. Now, it might be that, and it might not be that. The sad thing is, you can't tell right now. Is this the future resurrection, or is this a gourd versus ivy? It's hard to tell right now. But every morning in prayer, you can say, Lord, whatever this is, I leave it with you. It's obviously bigger than me anyway. I, I can't command a whole nation. I can't command a whole world. I can't command a whole church. You, Lord, have such powers. Lord, I want to leave my anxiety about it with you. I want to walk. I want to do what I clearly know I can do and and that you do call me to do. To serve like Jesus. To love like Jesus. To pray. To tell folks about your blessings and your deliverance. Lord, I may have to leave this with you every morning. It may be a person in my life that I'm so fearful for or fearful of. Lord, I lay them at your feet this morning. Can you watch over them when I can't? Can you stand, watch between us and between me and them? Can you carry this, God? I cannot. You pray that each morning and watch as God begins to unwind it. Even if all he does is unwind your fear of it, wouldn't that be a blessing? Teach others to pray this way. When they share with you their anxiety and their fear and it's all going to hell in a handcart, say, you know what I do? I get up every morning and I lay that with the Lord. I say, Lord, take my worry, my need to control, my need to... Do what I can. Help me love and to serve and to pray and to be an example. And if someone wants to come ask me, help me in that moment to be someone who uh, does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. In that moment, God has created for that word to have a real power. Teach others to pray like that and sit like that and be ready to give a word when the time has come like that. These types of things, I don't think will ever, ever go away. The value of them is solid gold. It will last forever. I don't think in 20 years you'll regret having done these things. So as you came in today, uh, maybe you picked up a card and a pen from that table back there. If not, you can get one as you approach communion if you want. I wonder if this might be a first prayer where you could write down the controversy, the threat, the the worry that you have. Write it on this card. You could put initials. You could just put a little symbol that represents that for you. You know and the Lord knows. And as you come forward for the Lord's table today, you could leave it at the foot of the cross. There's one here. There's one there. Say, Lord, this is my first step. I'm leaving this with you. I'm so anxious and fearful of this. I don't know how big of a deal this is or isn't. It feels pretty big today. Lord, you can hold this. Even if it is the biggest threat ever to face the church, God's word says, I have established my church and the gates of hell shall not come against it. He's already promised us, I've got it. Whatever it is, I've got it. Leave it with me. Watch what I can do. Go do the things I've clearly given you to do. You can do those. and I give you my spirit to help you do that. Leave it at the foot of the cross today. Amen.